Welcome to The Counselor's Chair, a podcast brought to you by Traverse Counseling Services. Join us as we explore all things human, mental health, psychology, philosophy, and a few extras. Be sure to check us out on all forms of social media and visit our YouTube channel at The Counselor's Chair. Hello, listeners, and thanks for joining us today. It's our pleasure to have Dr. Chrissy Logue on the show. For those of you who don't know Dr. Logue, you're in for a real treat with this episode. She's a clinical psychologist with a PhD in counseling psychology from the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and is currently practicing with L plus C Psychological Services in Florence, Kentucky. In today's episode, we will be covering female empowerment and more specifically, how societal pressures weigh on and influence female roles in society. Chrissy, as I referred to her during the episode, was a professor for both Andrew and I in grad school, and she was my mentor and clinical supervisor during my post-grad experience. She's been a great friend, and I owe much of the beginning of my clinical career to her incredible mentorship. Seriously, she's one of the most caring and competent people I've ever come across, and her thoughts are incredibly enlightening. So, without further ado, here is our episode with Dr. Chrissy Logue. Chrissy, thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, it's a really, really an awesome opportunity to have you here. We really appreciate you carving out the time for this, and I'm really excited to hear your insights and your perspective. It's always been very deep and enlightening for both Andrew and I. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so we're just super pumped to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. And uh, what an honor just to uh, get to be a part of all the success and the growth that you guys have accomplished. It's pretty amazing to be able to be a part of your empire now. So thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and it's kind of like a shared empire too, right? I was thinking earlier today, uh, it's just, it feels really good personally to have you on here because I feel like the 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 real launch of my career started in your office and our supervision, you know, so it's mm. like something really, uh, really gratifying and really special to have you to have you on here and to to contribute in this way. But really, it's 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 a shared success, I think. Um, so, I'd, yeah, yeah. All, all the fields. That's really you know. it's really cool to hear you say that just because um, students like the two of you, I feel like I actually saw that success burgeoning, you know, in the eyes of undergrads or, you know, even I remember exactly where you sat, Josh, in that human sexuality class in the back, in the corner with your head down, acting like you weren't interested. But I was like, I know there is something special. I know he's actually more interested than he's acting right now. (laughs) So I saw the potential and it's really cool to really cool to have that uh, little bit of fortune telling ability. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you saw what was in there and and empowered me and that's just I you know I think with what we're talking about today being women's empowerment as an overall topic but with things like assertiveness and and gender power differentials and sexuality as sort of subtopics under that I I think it's just really cool that on on the front end I can say that you have sort of transcended the the sexes as well as been a mentor and um, been empowering to men around you as well. So I, I think it's really, for anybody listening, I, I think it's really important, especially with you know where gender topics are today. It's really important for anybody listening, male, female, to know that, that Chrissy actually empowers the men around her as well um, in, in some really 
some really helpful ways. I mean, like I said, I feel like it all started in your office with supervision. So um, it's it's definitely, definitely cool stuff. And um, Yeah, that's probably a really good place to start just as a bottom line, because oftentimes people will immediately turn off a conversation about women's issues or feminism or, you know, whatever label, just because they immediately feel excluded if it's not um, the identity that they have. Or even women feel like, you know, um, that it's an extreme perspective. And that just really couldn't be further from the truth. I think at least my own um, philosophy on all of these issues is how can we make everyone better? How can we make everyone's lives better? How can we make the world a better place? It's not about elevating any group over another. Um, in fact, that's actually the opposite of what um, my, I guess, personal mission is about is to elevate everybody. And it's it's more fair for everyone when um, gender roles are discussed and people are aware of dynamics and institutions are questioned, you know, all this stuff that, that we're going to talk about, it's, it's better for everybody. So mm, I'm absolutely. glad you felt that personally. Yes, I definitely felt it personally. And um, I appreciate you saying that too. It's such a, I mean, it's such an awesome personal mission to have uh, that type of unity and, and bringing people together and empowering, I mean, empowering humanity at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's, that's awesome, Chrissy. And I guess maybe a good starting spot is, you know, what are some of the, what are some of the larger issues that you feel like women face in modern culture, whether that's in the workplace, family, friendships, marriage, sexuality, and so forth? Where, what are some of the things that you, you feel like stand out right now in our culture? Yeah, I think the thing that just immediately jumps out to me, especially as I think about my current caseload, like literally the, the women that are in my office every day, it's just the, the superwoman octopus arms, end all, be all, you know, how, whatever kind of terminology you want to put on these unrealistic expectations that we're placing on ourselves. And it's both internal, it's external, it's in the workplace, it's in the family, it's in body image. I mean, it's like all of those um, things that you just listed out in relationships and sexuality, there's, they're unrealistic completely just outlandish expectations. And I'm just as guilty of it as everyone else. I mean, I want to be perfect. I want to have it all together. I I want my house to be clean. I want to be sure I get the workout in and don't eat too many carbs. And like, oh my gosh, the list just goes on and on and on. And all that's good stuff. And that's where I think, you know, as therapists, especially as if we immediately kind of swoop in and just try to bulldoze some of those ideals and expectations, then you'll get a lot of pushback because I'll be the first one to start pushing back. Like, no, I want all that. I don't want to become a slouch and a couch potato and a loser and a, you know, not pay my bills and have my kids going off the rails. I mean, you know, of course I don't want any of those bad things to happen. Um, So we can't just go in and bulldoze all of that. But I think somehow very slowly and carefully, we have to start challenging what I call the internal drill sergeant. Um, You know, and I, Again, I think so many people are afraid that it, they're they're going to go to the other extreme. And granted, I'm sure there's plenty, there's some people on the other extreme, but just the the majority of people I deal with and looking at my own life, we all have this internal drill sergeant that is just like cracking the whip 24-7 about everything. And so there's just no way we can ever live up. There's no possible way we can ever live up. So we always feel defeated. We feel not good enough. 
self-hatred. And then once you start feeling those things, then the vicious cycle just starts over and over. Then things start slipping. Then, you know, you start forgetting things. Then you start burning the meal and then, oh, then you feel worse, right? So it's just the super, the, the internal drill sergeant cracks that whip and keeps that vicious cycle going, going, going until we finally become clinically depressed or re- relationally dysfunctional, whatever the manifest or, you know, a severe eating disorder, whatever it manifests. Oh, and then the world's like, oh, see, look how crazy you are. So it's like, mm. oh, how can I yes. not be crazy under these circumstances? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it's, it's almost like it, it's uh, what you're saying. I, I really like it. It's like these, these things that you're pursuing aren't necessarily bad things, but it's almost like the, that perfection as an expectation is the thing that's been inserted that becomes problematic. It's like, I must do my workout perfectly. My body mm-hmm. must be perfect. It, the expectation is perfect. Um, and so it really—it's the perfection. It's the perfection piece and the competition piece. Oh. And I think maybe social media and just kind of modern living has really driven that point home. That we used to maybe have this sort of magazine ideal of perfect. Well, now it's just—it's um, the Instagram. You know, I got to keep up with because it's not just the models who look perfect. It's my next door neighbor who has yeah. gorgeous pictures of herself in a bikini at the beach. And I'm like, dang, how does she do it? You know, and then yeah. she drives up in her Lexus and then that's on social media too. You know, it's yeah. like, well, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> you know, and then you see her kids posing for their pictures with their matching, I don't know, what's the Lily Pulitzer outfits, whatever, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's just like never ending. Mm. Um, so there's so many more avenues for, comparison and competition. And yes, definitely the perfection, I, st- I think still fuels all of that, yes. but it's like, we cannot escape comparison and competition no matter where you turn. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, that becomes, <clears throat> that becomes certainly a driving, a driving force because it, as I guess, especially when you see someone, someone else that emulates whatever this, the highest standard is and mm-hmm. you don't feel like you're kind of hitting that higher standard. It's like uh, keeping up with the Joneses kind of, yep. kind of perspective. You know, um, Cheryl Sandberg talked about this a little bit uh, in lean in from a female perspective that, um, that sometimes female competition and, and maybe that's what you're talking about, but like that, that, that sometimes that female competition knocks the empowerment out of the female movement. Um, is that kind of what you're hitting on there as well? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there is definitely that kind of old school, um, middle school, high school sort of backbiting, you know, like, mm-hmm. but, I, but I think it's not quite as simple as people make it out to be. I don't think uh. it's that, you know, we're, we're so jealous and, you know, we are doing that middle school, high school thing. I think it's literally, we're just so, in, we're so, beat down by this survival of the fittest uh, that I, I don't yes. think anybody really sets out to like, you know, how can I tear down my sisters? Because, hmm. um, you know, because I'm not good enough. I, I think it's just, we're in this like jungle of you know, bombarded with expectations, both again, internally and externally. And so I think it's just this welcome to the jungle, like um, chaotic survival of the fittest that, that it that then ends up looking like, backbiting uh, and yes. you know female competition and gossip and things like that when really it's it's classic crazy making mm-hmm. it's almost like gaslighting really mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know it's like the environment is so crazy making and so then 
I mean, I have people tell me all the time, oh, I work with a bunch of women and there's all this drama. I'm like, well, try living their life and see how you would feel in the workplace. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that too with that that clarification because I think what Cheryl brought up in that book and the example that you just gave it men typically take that as like catfighting, right? Mm-hmm. But but I think you're bringing in a really important part here which is there's like there is a there's a cultural madness almost. Yes. Uh, That's that, a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm really glad you clarified that cuz I've heard that been I've heard that message like that twisted in a way that it get, that females just get discarded. Um, mm-hmm. That's like, oh, they're just going to fight with themselves. They're just going to compete with one another and, and discount. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad you clarified that. The cattiness, yeah. the cattiness and the pettiness and the jealousy. Um, I, I think that's just another way to both devalidate our feelings, mm. but also completely fail to recognize the vomit that we cleaned off our shirt on the way to work while we had a fight with our husband because we asked him to unload the dishwasher and all the dirty dishes still sat there. And Mm. then we tripped over four toys on the way out the door and realized halfway down the street, we had on two different shoes because (laughs) you know, (laughs) that scenario. And so then you get to work. Well, yeah, I might look a little catty at that point, or I might look a little emotionally unstable at that point but who wouldn't under those circumstances oh absolutely i know i would (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah Um, and then you know i might be getting a little bit ahead of myself but it reminds me of such a super important point that i just read about the other day and it's the idea of mental load Mm. you know it's it's becoming easier i think to quantify people can do the studies and be like okay what percentage of the income do you make? What percentage of the home of the per, what percentage of the hours do you work outside the home? And then what percentage of the chores inside the home? And we're seeing those numbers start to even out, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, if if the man and the woman both work fifty percent outside the home, maybe they have several relatively equal incomes, then they're starting. It's not completely equal, but in studies, it's starting to get closer to equal childcare in terms of hours put in hmm. equal chores in terms of like actual laundry list of things to do. But what is unquantifiable or, or less easy to quantify is the mental load. Who remembers hmm. that it's time for the dental cleanings every six hmm. months? Whose hmm. calendar is the athletic practice on when hmm. there's an interruption in the schedule? Whose responsibility is it to rearrange the carpool and to make sure there's something in the refrigerator so that people don't eat Cheetos for dinner, right? It's that kind of stuff that is the mental load. And I'm at 1 million percent guilty of it in my own household because it's control. Like, Mm. you know, my daughter's appointments are on my calendar, not my husband's. Mm. You know, the Mm -hmm. change the AC filter, that's on my calendar. Mm. (laughs) All that, I, I, I get it. I'm a control freak. And so that's why that stuff I don't necessarily readily let that go, but it is absolutely draining. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the physical, literal laundry list of things that I think is the crazy making and that we have all these expectations because we want to do all that right, but it's that mental load. Who is the one thinking in the middle of the night, like, oh, did I sign that permission slip? Does she have the $2 for Kona ice tomorrow? Crap, I don't have $2 because I only have a 10. Wait, do I have that 10? No, I spent that 10, right? Mm, like yeah. that's the stuff that is going through many women's heads. And so no wonder we look 
depressed or, you know, whatever. And no wonder we're not living up to the unrealistic expectations because now I feel like a horrible mother because my daughter's going to be the only one who doesn't have Kona ice at the field trip tomorrow because I didn't have the change because I didn't have the cash. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a day to day, just excruciating drain on the brain when we're already trying to be superwoman and, you know, do it all perfectly. Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah, when you phrase it like that, uh, and and uh, Xanax, yeah, (laughs) yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, when I mean, when you put it like that, Chrissy, it's uh, it it sounds like a very anxious headspace, right? Yes, a lot of things to remember, a lot of things to live up to. But then, you know, at hearing that myself, I mean, I feel like, you know, in my own marriage, I feel like my wife remembers far more of those things than I do or is thinking about those things more than more than I am so I'm a little I'm sitting here thinking Mm -hmm. man I need to pick up some of these things uh um but I guess from that perspective though and I I that's what I really like about what you're already bringing to the table is um, from that perspective and as a male when I hear that I'm like okay that is a if 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 my wife is is carrying all that in her own mind, I really want to participate in it. Like I really want to shoulder some of that. Like how do we split those things? You know, um, absolutely. So and it takes yeah. very conscious, very gentle negotiation of that because I can't sit here and blame my husband for doing that because I'm just as guilty for setting it up this dynamic. Um, but you're right. Then after it gets set up, without conscious intervention and renegotiation, I can't tell you how many people say, oh, I, I asked this guy at dance the other day, something about his daughter was having a, his, their tonsils out. And my daughter had her tonsils out. And I was like, oh, who did your daughter's surgery? He goes, oh, I, I don't, he looked at me like I would have said, you got three heads on. Hmm. He was like, I had no idea. My wife handles all that. I'm like, you seriously don't know the name of the physician <laughs> who operated on your daughter? Like, really? Wow. But huh. I don't think my husband would know that either, <laughs> which is not a bad thing. Like, it's just, I think it's like you said, Josh, it's just, I didn't really think about it. She just, it's she's just natural. She just remembers all this stuff. Mm-hmm. No, she's remembering all this stuff because she has to. Mm-hmm. And that's just the unspoken dynamic that has been set up. Nobody's the bad guy. Nobody did it on purpose. But this is what makes us crazy. And let's, you know, get real here. If I can just kind of take it from G to PG 13. And then you wonder why we're not so interested in like having a ton of sex. It's like, you know what? I'm exhausted. Mm. <laughs> like I'm exhausted. And so then it goes right back into so many of those issues. So now it's our sexuality. Now it's our marriage. Now it's our communication. Because if we say we're exhausted, we don't really want to go into all of that. And so mm. now the guy's taking it personally, like, Oh, you know, you're so cold. You're so unloving. Mm. Oh gosh. And then how many people in my practice are having affairs? Like, oh my gosh, everybody's mm-hmm. having an affair. Mm-hmm. Like if another person sits down today and is talking about their affair, I'm, my head's going to pop off. But like, it, why? It's it's a no brainer. Why are these things happening? Well, mm. because we're living unrealistic lives. Mm. Wow. Mm. And of course the, the girlfriend, of course she's available and warm and cozy and you know, interesting and spicy because <laughs> she's not worried about Kona ice at three o'clock in the morning. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, it's just, I was literally thinking that as you were talking, I, when I step into that headspace, even just as we're talking, it's like, man, that's exhausting. Like who would want to have sex at that point in time? Or Absolutely. Like when, when everything is turned off, when everybody's asleep, when everybody is, when the world is shutting down and the expectations are starting to slow, it's like, 
you probably just want to go to bed at that point. Um, Absolutely. Like, yeah, not a lot to, not a lot of emotional energy or even physical energy to give at that point. That's um, right. Hmm. That's right. And it's not personal, but of course it feels personal, yeah. you know, to the other party involved. I had a friend of mine, you maybe you've heard this story, but I couldn't remember if it was personal or something she heard, but basically where, you know, it was the dad's turn to close everybody down and shut, you know, put everybody to bed. And somehow he bathed the baby, but got the baby to bed, but forgot to put a diaper on the baby. Hmm. Right. So, you know, the baby didn't <laughs> die, whatever, like just slept the night without a diaper, I guess. Right. And the, this person the told the story dying. and uh, right. And my friend and me, we're all having this conversation. We're like, okay, it's not the fact that he forgot to put the diaper on the baby. Like whatever mistakes happen. We all have sleep deprived, foggy brain. It's what would it be like to have a brain that would let me forget <laughs> to put the diaper on the baby? Like wow. that is what's so mind boggling. Yes. And I almost am jealous. Not that mm. I would want to make that mistake, but we, the three of us were almost like, I would love to have a brain that it was even capable of letting me forget to put the diaper on the baby because that would uh, never happen. Not in a million yes. years. Right. Oh man. It's like the mentality of like, Oh, it'll, it'll be okay. It'll work itself out, which I think is a world that, a lot of men live in i know i live in that world it's like oh it'll be all right yeah yeah and what a great example because that is something i think people kind of throw up as you know why can't you be more like this well Mm. it's it's Mm. the role of culture and oppression that you know oh you're black why are you so angry well (laughs) if you Mm. were living in this skin you might be angry too right so Mm. I think it's it's real easy when you're um yeah, looking at things from a different angle to be like, Oh, just you know, don't worry about things. Sure. Well, and it's certainly not helpful for anyone to say that. I mean, just from just from being a human but also being in practice myself, like to tell somebody, Oh, just lighten up, right? Yeah. But to let alone <laughs> hear that from your husband or your partner or even maybe one of your children or if you're you know, if you're single, you hear that from your boss, maybe, or from yeah. a professor, you know, it's, you know, that, that certainly is not an effective way of helping. You know, just, just lighten up, you know. Um, That's right. Mm. How much more powerful would it be to say to that person who looks a little stressed, maybe they're a little distracted, and maybe they're responding a little more emotionally, with a little more emotional ability than you think they should, instead of saying like, hey, what is your deal? Lighten up, chill out, say, mm-hmm. what can I do to lighten your load right now? Hey. Nice. Yeah. Dr. Logan, one of the things that I, that I run into regularly is, you know, the, like generally the husband will, you know, be willing to, I mean, you know, they'll say, well, I'm here because, you know, she wants me to be, so I'll, I'll do whatever I need to do. Right. Which is not the greatest mm-hmm. message to start out with, but yeah. you know, when they do, you know, attempt to pick up the slack or, you know, do try to, you know, help the kids get ready for bed or maybe get ready in the morning. Um, you know, what I'm finding it, it's not to the standard that it's been done in the past. And yes. so there's still that, that disconnect. So there's almost like the, the, there's still the, the resentment of like, okay, yeah. So you helped with the laundry. Great. But mm-hmm. it also sat on the bed for three days. Um, and you didn't fold it correctly. Right. You didn't use the dryer sheet. Oh yeah. Right. right. I, have so, a, I have a term for this. <laughs> 
Lay it on us. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So my term for this is boxing out. So, mm. uh, you know, now that I'm a Kentucky and I'm highly versed in basketball mm-hmm. and in, in boxing out, you know, you literally throw your body in front of the person and you wrap your arms around them and push them back with your butt to keep them away from the goal, the, you know, the goal or the ball, yes. whatever. Yeah. And so I think this is what women do. And this is back to the issue of this is not to blame. This is a everybody has a role to play. Um, mm. Nobody's the bad guy here. Because the second that you're right, Andrew, people do start to step up. You know, the other person mm-hmm. in the equation says, okay, I'll put the kids to bed or I'll do the laundry. We or many of us then swoop in and box out. Like, mm-hmm. well, no, it's not going to be good enough. Or you mm-hmm. didn't do it my way or, or whatever. Right. And so this is what I work with a lot of women on is like when you do start to get some of the changes that not only that you want, because if you just use the word want, it sounds like, you know, I want a bonbon or I want a diamond ring or what, I mean, this right. is not about want. This is a change you need. Yeah, this right. is a change that is best and healthiest for everyone. So this is not like your husband, you know, heaping luxury on you. But when you do start to see the changes that are better and healthier for everyone, you've got to fight the urge to box him out because mm. that will just make things worse. And also not just boxing out, but it's also criticism. Right. And I, I have an explanation for that as well, too. We're not criticizing, I don't think, from a place of malicious intent. It's just that internal drill sergeant. We heap that criticism on ourselves. Mm-hmm. So when guys try to swoop in and help or, you know, do the things that we've been expecting ourselves to do, then, of course, that internal drill sergeant is going to jump on them, too, you know, uh, which is not good. It's mm-hmm. not fair. It's not healthy. So mm-hmm. we've all got to work on the dynamics that keep this um, system fueled. You know, such as the the internal drill sergeant, both internally and externally, and the boxing out as well. Hmm. Yeah, and it and and I can certainly see. Um, you know, I can certainly see. I mean, I just, <clears throat> I'm mean, just looking around. I mean, in my own, in my own marriage, but working with my working with my clients, seeing you know, seeing my own daughter, hearing about issues from um, from from women who have a platform and can speak. Uh, openly about women's issues in our culture it's like i can certainly see that men that i think we have a we have a good long way to go especially when it comes to uh, when it comes to hierarchy and when it comes to making sure from whatever position we're in it um that the women in our lives also have an equal opportunity at that through us. If that's it, especially mm-hmm. if it's not available in other places, we, and, and I'd love to spend some time talking about what it, we as men can do holistically, you know, not just in a marriage, but sort of a lens that we could look through from your perspective, that would be helpful. And I guess before we jump to that though, I'd really, that, that I, I, I'm really sticking with this idea that you talked about of like the, almost like the collective crazy or the collective expectation on, mm-hmm. on women or that embodied expectation. Chrissy, from your perspective, you know, what, what lens may be helpful for women, whether they're married, whether they're single, whether it's in the workplace, is there, from your perspective, is there a general lens that they might be able to see this collective crazy from in order to contend with it, you know, in, a, in an empowered or sort of an assertive way, like how might this be viewed? And it may be your drill sergeant metaphor, but do you have anything? Do you have anything as far as what would be helpful for how to view the world as a woman, or how to view your immediate world uh, as a woman that could potentially empower or uh, provide more opportunity for assertion? 
Yes, absolutely. So the first idea I think is that we have to learn that there is such a thing as a lens. So as therapists, that's maybe a huge duh for us, but I can't tell you how foundational that is for so many of my clients. And we may work several sessions. I do a lot of CBT and instead of jumping right into, we still, we got to start with the idea that there even is such a thing as a Mm -hmm. cognition, Mm -hmm. as a lens, as Mm -hmm. opposed to just gospel truth. And I don't really know what other way to, to say, and you know, I'll, I'll pick up my glasses and be like, you know, it's possible that I would have worn these glasses for so many years that I forgot, I forget they're on my face. Uh, And so I just think this is how, how the world is. And it's just good old fashioned awareness for so many women, so many people, we live our lives so unaware, so not self-aware. We don't look at the dynamics in ourselves and our families in the world. We just live blind. So Mm -hmm. we're coded in this really um, just distorted, almost kind of dirty unhealthy lens or set of lenses and we don't even know they exist. Uh-huh. Okay. Now we recognize, okay, this is just a lens. I can look at this another way. That's about maybe, I don't know, 85%, 90% of the battle mm. getting to that point. Then it's like, okay, let me take this dirty lens off. That's maybe another 5%. And I think the other 5% is just, Oh, now I have the freedom to choose my own lens. What? Uh, like I can uh, write my own story to uh, a degree, to a degree. Like, we can't go so far as to like um, completely ignore the roles, roles of culture and the forces of oppression and, the, you know, institutionalized sexism and racism and all of that. But with those awarenesses in place, yes, you can start to choose some of your own lenses. And it makes me think about like, when you go to the eye doctor, you know, and they put that big black machine in front of your face and they go, mm-hmm. click, click. What about now? Click. What about mm-hmm. now? Click. You know, I kind of use that metaphor with my clients a lot. Like, okay, let's click through. Let's try this lens on. You know, what could you say to yourself about this this situation? You know, what other set of expectations could you begin to write for yourself? Even that in and of itself is like mind-boggling because it's like, huh. oh, wait, I, I, wrote, I wrote this set of expectations. Oh, this came from my mother. Oh, this came from my church. Oh, this came from my abusive boyfriend in high school. I had no idea. I thought this was just gospel truth. No, hmm. these are expectations that are part of the lens that we can start rewriting. But okay, so now we're it's got starting to get a little more complex, right? Yes. Because now we got to take time. Now we've recognized there's a thing such a thing as a lens. We've recognized we have the power to switch off of the dirty, distorted lens and begin to put new clear lenses on. But now we have to do that with our body image and our mm-hmm. sense of relationship and our sexuality. And I right, the list goes on and on. So I, I'm oversimplifying this, of course. I guess, but I want to underscore that it is a long, um, arduous, can be arduous process, but wow, what a payout. Hmm. What a payout when you Hmm. get to a point to where you don't have to compare your looks to a standard that is from your mother or a magazine, or you don't have to. I mean, I, this is maybe a silly example, but I said a couple months, I don't know, a year or so back at work, I said the wrong thing. I made a bad choice. I, I made somebody angry and they called me out on it and they confronted me. And years prior, that would have been my undoing. I mean, I would have been probably physically sick uh-huh. thinking like I messed up professionally. Hmm. I, well, that's actually happened a few times, like, <laughs> a few hmm. times over the past years. I mean, I remember in the first five to 10 years of my career, if I would have, quote, messed up professionally, like gotten in trouble, so to speak. Hmm. I mean, you might have just found me like with my steam coming out of my ears. Or, I don't know. I would have just completely um, fallen apart. Yeah. But I I took it. I recognized where I went wrong in one situation. And in one situation, I don't think I was in the wrong. Um, I think it was the other person's issue completely. But I, 
I just took it. I'm like, okay, you know, I, I know my worth. I know the value that I've brought to this community or to this task. I, you know, we can all have our own opinions and you can believe whatever you want. And, and I'm okay with that. And, and as that lens was sort of sliding into place, it almost felt like the twilight zone. I was like, who is this person? Uh, what is going on right now? Why am I not falling apart and just completely coming unglued for the next whatever, six weeks or whatever. Um, but it, then it felt amazing. I'm like, Oh, I have the choice to write this story. Hmm. Okay. So, you know, part of this is just good old fashioned CBT. But then I think with a little bit of sort of that recognition of maybe it's not always that easy, that there's yes. some forces at work and, and we can't take it slow. And the last thing I want to add to that is when I do start clients on this process of sort of changing their perspective in a very intentional way, the first thing I encourage them to do is use this skill on your process. Meaning mm. if this is slow and arduous and you find yourself going back to those dirty, distorted lenses, it's okay. That's normal. That's part. You can't beat yourself up. Right. In a process where you're trying to learn not to beat yourself up, right? That doesn't make yes. any sense. So no. give yourself time. You know, the, these new lenses are not going to get clear immediately. They're going to feel really clunky and really weird mm. um, over time. And you might get so, you might get some pushback. Mm. The people around you, your church, your workplace, your spouse, they may not like the new lens. They may not like the new messages you're sending yourself about, Oh, you know, like I have the right to my feelings. What? Uh, that may blow some people's minds. So mm. expect some pushback as you're rocking the boat. Um, but again, the payoff, you know, to get yes. to that place of freedom where I get to have my feelings. I'm upset right now. I get to have my feelings. I get to mess up. I get to be human. Mm. And I'm not there yet perfectly, but mm. I'm a whole lot closer there than I ever have been. And wow, is it a better place? Oh, absolutely. Well, and, and when you when you get that lens on, it actually... That gives you a new voice too, right? That's kind of like oh, what absolutely. you're saying, right? It gives you a new voice. People may not be used to hearing that voice, but mm -hmm. it may be the closest. Uh, it may be a lot closer to who you actually are, or who you want to be, right? And so and I, I like your message of, uh, and I think it's really good for anybody to hear, which is don't, don't give up on the voice when you encounter resistance. Yes. Um, and then there's an experimental part of this too, right? It's like that thing that you talked about with the, the eye doctor clicking mm -hmm. the lenses. It's like, is this one clear? Is this yep. one clear? Is this one more clear? It's almost like a consistent pursuit to find what is clearest for you. Um, Absolutely. And uh, it doesn't just stop with a one and done, right? And, and that makes a lot of sense too, since um, the cultural expectations seem to shift um, mm -hmm. you know, the underlying message of perfection seems to be the same, but the, the expectations themselves, I mean, you can just look at how dress has changed in the last 50 years, right? It's like, yeah. or how popular body shape has shifted in the last 50 years. Um, you, you look at those things and it seems to be ever changing and it's almost like, um, you know, oh, the culture is presenting a new lens, right? It's like, do I accept that lens? Do I challenge it? Uh, mm -hmm. do I, do I experiment with something in the middle? Is there maybe something good here that I'm missing? It, it, it's, yeah. I guess it's a, it's a, it's a sort of process that you have to tweak along the way. Right. Um, and do I want to be along on that roller coaster, that mm -hmm. unpredictable roller coaster, or do I want to put the time and effort into crafting literally my own set of lenses, uh, which yes, is going to take more time and more mm -hmm. trial and error and more conscious effort. But wow. You know, 
I would imagine most people would find the outcome to be much more, uh, much pref more preferable over, you know, that, that roller coaster of just wearing the, the cultural lens that gets slapped mm -hmm. on you. Yeah, and what a wonderful way to to empower uh, women and and not give a and I really like your answer a lot, Chrissy, because it it doesn't say okay, so this is the lens you should use, right? It allows for Absolutely. diversity. It it really does yeah. allow for diversity for women to be themselves instead of you know the neighbor next door with the the bikini and the kids in their mm. little Norville Redenbacher or whatever. Is that the, <laughs> is that the popcorn guy? <laughs> no, the popcorn like, guy. yeah, yeah. Don't look at me. <laughs> Oh man, that just blew my blew my cover there. I was thinking of oh, Ashbagash, but it came out. Um, you know, right? See, as a man, you don't even have to know who Lily Pulitzer is, and you're fine I know, with that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Goodness, I like I know I know Target's major brains, like Cat and Jack is pretty cool. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah but uh, you're right. You're definitely <laughs> you're definitely right. Um, well, well, that's I, I what a and I, I hope everybody listening to this really takes that to heart the diversity of that perspective um and the and the forgiveness right of that perspective like the drill sergeant may have a hard time with that because it it insists on grace right mm -hmm. like um it insists on uh maybe a forgiveness too of of some of those people that you listed like my mom gave me this lens or my my yeah. abusive ex-boyfriend it it yeah. maybe calls for some grace in those areas so that you can move kind of move forward or maybe acceptance is the better word right um yeah but i i yeah kind of just an awareness like an awareness mm -hmm. of where did these messages come from why mm -hmm. am i buying into this yes. is this my message test it out and if it is your message great keep it if it's not your schema then um customization is kind mm -hmm. of the concept that i use a lot mm -hmm. you customize everything every yes. way that you look at the world every way you think about yourself every rule and expectation that you hold for yourself. Because when I think about the most miserable neurotic people around me, it's the people who have boatloads of rules and expectations and standards and all these things. And they have, but they have no idea that they're there. Like mm -hmm. they have no awareness or no hope or like no prayer that they could even challenge those things because, Oh, mm -hmm. it's just, that's the way it is. Yeah. What do you mean that this is how we do it? No, you, you, you could choose. Mm -hmm. um, just takes a little bit of work. Mm-hmm. This is a lot like mindfulness in the sense of like recognizing impulse and training the brain to pick up on the sensations and changes in your body and, you know, recognize thoughts that come up. But then also there's the added layer of, you know, the, the history of your life and picking up, you know, where some of these things might be stemming from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That, that awareness, man. I, and you know, I, I think it's a good, uh, I, I mean, I have a, I have a daughter as, as well, Chrissy, and I'm always trying to, I guess as a father, I'm always trying to be aware, be mindful of the messages that little Emma, little Emma June is getting um, mm -hmm. from me, but also from culture. And I know that she's going to have quite a bit to navigate uh, and yes. be and be mindful of. I'm, from from your perspective, though, especially from a mother um, with a with a pretty what from what I see uh, in Facebook, like a pretty rock star <laughs> daughter. You know, I you know what yeah. what how do you approach this idea of lens building with your with your daughter? Like, what are some of the 
What are some of the more helpful things that you feel like you've implemented for her as a mother and uh, maybe even some of our listeners thinks that could be said or done to really empower their their daughters to develop their own unique lens? Um, oh boy, I can't wait to hear my answer on this because I, whatever it is, I really need to implement it because I'm struggling. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to go back and listen to what I what answer I gave. But hey. I, yeah, I, yeah, I'm really struggling with this one, I think. Um just at the age that we're at, she's 10. And so we're mm-hmm. starting to hit some of those prepubescent sort of struggles. But the two things I think that are my mantras with her that, um, that I really try to keep in mind. The first one is the idea of validation of feelings. You get to have your feelings. I don't know how many times a day I say that. I say it to all my clients. I say it to myself. I say it to her. Then mm-hmm. I say it again to everybody. You get to have your feelings. You get to have your feelings. So when she's upset she, in my household, I've tried, I don't know that I've been perfect at this, but I, I try to implement, I try to teach my clients how to do this too. When it comes to a child or a teenager or whatever in their feelings, it's always okay. Amnesty for emotion, complete amnesty for emotion. Now hmm. behavior, <laughs> words that are said, you know, you can, you could say curse words are off limits. You can't throw things across the room. You can't slam the door, whatever it is. But as if you say, I feel angry, I feel scared. I feel embarrassed. That is always okay. And I, I think a couple things that that does is number one, it, it teaches our, us, the adults, it gives us that um, skill, which is huge. And especially with men, I've noticed in culture that uh, men tend to have what I call um, the anger straw. Mm. I have all these, mm-hmm. I didn't realize I had all these like logisms. Hey, but, I'm digging it though. Like I'm going to use them. <laughs> men tend to have, men tend to have the anger straw. And it, so it's like the, the culture has only allowed them to do one emotion. And so it's anger. And so it's like, if I were to go like that and kind of blow breath, like it's, it's diffuse and it's light. But if I go through a straw and go, you know, and blow through a straw, it's a very, like a harsher stream mm. of air. So yeah. if men are only allowed to do their emotions through the anger straw, then of course that's how it always comes out in emotion. Well, then the boys and the girls, the children in our life, they see that and the girls learn to, you don't provoke male emotion and the boys mm. learn, this is how I get my way in the world. This is how I express myself. Mm. So it becomes toxic for everyone. So if we in the family implement, you can have your feelings, then everyone wins daughter wins because she's going to have a lot of complex feelings that most people would teach her to stuff or, or mm. have a fit about like throw mm-hmm. temper tantrums. Boys learn you can cry like, Oh my gosh, what damage are we doing to boys in our culture with the whole, like, you know, suck it up, be a man, yeah. don't cry, you know, all that garbage. Um, dad learns to how to set a better example and because, and he's not so frustrated because he can do things other than anger, mm. you know, and again, everyone wins. So, you get to have your feelings. You get to have your feelings. I preach that in so many different ways. Um, the I use this book chapter from Anita Johnston's "Eating by the Eating in the Light of the Moon" or "Eating yes. by the Light of the Moon." Yeah, yeah, fabulous. I can't recommend that highly enough. That chapter on feelings, where she says she tells a story about how she just um, started feeling something and she thought it was ridiculous. I'm having a good day. Everything's fine. But you know what? I'm just going to play this out and let it see where it goes. She goes in her bedroom and just has a all out crying, screaming fit, and then figures out like, oh, this was wrong. But she would have never gotten to that had she not uh, let herself have her feelings. Hmm. Feelings are not the bad guy. They're never dangerous. Um, there's no real price to pay. They're like a, a gas. If you squash it and repress it, it can get pressurized and explosive. But if you open the lid and let it dissipate, that's exactly what it'll do. It'll float away. 
That's mm. how emotions work. So secondly, the other thing that I think I, I, I try to do um, is, and, I don't, and I'm, this is the part I'm really struggling with because we just mm. had this conversation last night. Mm. She's getting into the whole like, but what if I embarrass myself? What uh, if I make a fool of myself? What if I mess up? What if people don't like me? What, you know, just that typical sort of teenage embarrassment phobia thing. But I think she has a little more anxiety, so it may be a little bit more to deal with. And and the pr- approach I've been taking is not working because I'm taking the whole like, believe in yourself and tell yourself it's okay. Uh, and who are they? And what, you know, I'm trying to kind of go the CBT route, but she's just not quite ready for that. And so I think what I'm finding is probably working better is not necessarily drilling that into her head with words, because then I just get pushback. I think I'm just going to have to show her, just uh, model it. Like hmm. if I need to make a fool of myself, I mean, cause she's embarrassed of stuff I do all the time. I'm going to keep doing it and just show her. Like, <laughs> I don't really get, like, she's like, mom, you're the only woman adult who rides her bike around the neighborhood. I'm like, okay, that's yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's like, you mm-hmm. look ridiculous. I'm like, okay. You know, mm-hmm. or I'll put on something and she's like, you're going to wear those shoes with that. I'm like, yep. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I just have to model it in what yeah. I say and what I do. The fact that I don't care if I live up to other people's standards or, you know, she told me the other day, she's like, I think you're getting a little fat. I'm like, okay, that's fine. You know, like, I'm like that's a, that's kind of a rude thing to say. Don't say that to other people, but it's fine. Like I, I just, because in my life that was never modeled for me. What was modeled uh, for me was like, you know, oh, I, well, I, I'm not going to that party because I don't have anything to wear and mm. everybody, that kind of stuff. Or no, I don't want to go to the pool with you guys because I don't want to put on a bathing suit. You know, mm. it was just mo- like all those, all those internal embarrassments and shames and all that crap we heap on ourselves. It was not only said to me like overtly, but it was modeled for me. Mm. So that's the thing that I think I'm really trying to do with her is just model. Like I'm happy to make a fool out of myself. I'm mm-hmm. happy to not live up to everybody else's standards, even mm. yours, you know, fine. I'll embarrass mm-hmm. you. No problem. And we'll, we, and we won't die. We won't yeah. die. We'll be fine. So those yeah. are the two things that I'm really working on right now. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I, those are, I, I, I mean, they, they really naturally seem to play off of each other too. Uh, in the sense that like you're, you're allowed to have your emotions. Not only that you get to play them out. Like you get to, you get to operationalize them almost like if you go in your room and cry or we talk this out a little bit and then you also get to have your reaction. That's where I think the second, the second piece comes in from what I've heard from my clients who are women is like, okay, that that's the leg that seems to be missing is the, is that empowerment that, okay, like your emotion may be actually informing you of yeah. of something that you want and desire and need and yep. it's actually okay for you to do that thing regardless of whether anybody else is going to think it's quote unquote like silly or stupid or um That's like right. you shouldn't be doing that right it's almost like the emotion is it's allowed to inform you but mm-hmm. it's, it's gosh you're so right about this straw thing where the male gets mad the, the 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 female the the girl learns like hey you know i like i don't want to provoke that so i'll keep my emotions off the table but what mm-hmm. that does add from that perspective the one you're bringing is almost like it stunts the ability to develop yourself because emotions yeah. are useful too right they're not they're godposts absolutely yeah. they're godposts oh. it's a ventilation system <clears throat> they're so not the bad guys we've made them out to be we uh, just don't know how to use them uh one of the things I try to convey to my clients is that 
you know, you wouldn't deny yourself of feeling happy. It's not like, oh, I'm happy. I want to go drown myself in work. Right. You know, so, and obviously yeah. you're happy, you're happy for a reason. Something's come up in your life that, you know, you're, you're awesome. You're happy, you know, but same thing with, with sadness or anger or grief or anything, you know, just, just notice it, let it, let it ride. You know, it's coming up for a reason and don't, don't try to handicap those things because you might, you might learn something about the process that, or the, you know, the season that you're in. That's right. It may have something to teach you and it may strengthen you along the way so that you can then go take action on those mm-hmm. gut feelings you can validate your feelings through actions um when when you deem it to be right and who cares if somebody doesn't like it mm-hmm. you know a client told me the other day um she it was something she was wanting to ask for something she was like oh but i i can't say it like that because my husband will get mad and we're not i'm not talking about like an abusive situation or anything but she was just mm-hmm. like i can't say it like that because my husband will get mad and i went and uh, I was like, but, but he'll get mad yeah okay well, but, yeah. I, but he, you know, he'll, he'll be, he'll be so frustrated at me. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> I right. mean, and, you know, and I said, I'm not trying to be flippant, but yeah. I mean, let's, let's pick this apart. Like, A, he can have his feelings. He mm-hmm. can be mad. She was like, well, I never thought of that because I just thought I was messing. If I made, if he was mad, I was messing up. Mm. Right. So that was the underlying lens uh. that had come from who knows where that we then had to kind of put all this together and say, Listen to your feelings are telling you something. You have a need or a want or an urge. I can't remember what it was. Um, You want to speak it. And if it makes him mad, that's okay. He can have his feeling too. It doesn't mean that your gut was wrong or that Mm. you made a bad move. Mm -hmm. And in fact, this type of free flowing, um, uninhibited communication just might strengthen your relationship as opposed to this inhibited, stilted, mind reading eggshell is that really the relationship you want? Hmm. Oh. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. Yeah, that I mean that that opens all kinds of possibilities in the relationship too and from an empowerment standpoint, it also removes it removes the woman in this situation from also being the mediator of the anger, right? Yes. The the yes. the caretaker almost like Constantly, oh, you yeah. know like oh, he's angry, let me let me like let me pacify this or let me do something about it versus you know a man actually taking ownership of his process right it's like uh, that that does i could see where that provides a good bit of of freedom where it's like yeah he's mm-hmm. just let him be you know let him be yeah. angry of course there are situations right abusive situations right. where would want to be careful with letting That's that play out yeah. right yeah but this i think generally applies um and it's it's pretty it's actually, it's a really enlightened perspective, Chrissy. I'm, I'm really yeah. glad we're having this conversation. And, you know, <clears throat> it makes me curious too, because you're, I mean, from, from my perspective, and I feel like I, I have, you know, when we work together at the counseling center and when I had you as a professor, I feel like you, you really did model these things personally. I don't know your, you know, your inner dialogue with this stuff, but you really did, you really did exemplify these things. And I was, I was watching Last night, I don't know if you've seen it. I absolutely not even closet about it. Love Beyonce. Um, just <laughs> I think she's, I haven't seen it. I think she walks on water. But anyway, she she just released um, her Coachella. Uh, she performed at Coachella in 2018, and it was like a year after she gave birth to twins, and she did a two hour set with almost 40 songs in it. Um, oh my gosh! And so she 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 talked about her process and the difficulties of being a mother through that, the difficulties of being a woman. 
and also the difficulties of being a black woman trying to do this. She's actually the first black woman to ever headline Coachella. Um, And so her perspective on this, I get this, her perspective, the whole entire thing, she brought in young black men and women from historically black universities and they were her performers they were her musicians they were her dancers i mean she pulled her culture on stage and her goal was to present black culture um on the stage and to be a conduit right and i I, it just it really made me think about this conversation because like from this perspective that you're bringing i mean that you talk about a conduit to empower empower women to be themselves um and and to define things for themselves like i look at beyonce and what she did on that that larger scale but there are ways i think that as men we could do this as women we could do this there's a there's a mentorship there's like a mentorship aspect to this where you're connecting with other people um other people even in your own culture race sex um, gender however you want to define those things like uh, so from your perspective what is the importance of female to female mentorship and do you see any obstacles to this um, in regards to modern culture? Yeah, I think as you were giving that Beyonce example, it hit me just how easy and natural it is to pull other people up with you when Hmm. you take on some of these perspectives Hmm. because the whole kind of back to that idea of like the backbiting and the jealousy and the competition I don't think any of us, most people are not doing that intentionally and with malicious evil intent. Most people are just doing that out of a place of such chaotic insecurity that that's just how it ends up looking because they're Mm -hmm. just living in a survival of the fittest mode. But when, and I'm not saying that I have this perfected by any means, but I feel like you in particular have given me so many compliments that I felt were almost like unwarranted, unearned, but it made me think more consciously because I was doing this subconscious or unconsciously, I guess Um, you talked about how like compliments roll off my tongue. Like I just naturally build people up and you know, that's my first um, sort of perspective on somebody. And like with mentoring new professionals or interns or supervisees or Mm -hmm. students, none of that was like put on or forced. And I guess that's why the compliments feel a little like, awkward because it's like oh I didn't even mean to do that it was like I wasn't even trying yes but I think when you take on an internal sense of strength and empowerment and um, ability to switch those lenses out you know ability to kind of ward off some of the cultural negativity and expectations and forces then you just naturally begin to bring other people with you because you don't see them as competition mm-hmm. you're not threatened by them um you know, I think somebody even said this to me, like about how we were bringing people up through the ranks at the counseling center. People are like, well, aren't you afraid, you know, some of those people are going to take your job. I'm like, I would love it if they would take my job. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Like, I'm not afraid of this. Um, And so I guess specifically with the, with the female, the female mentorship, um, when, when a person does maybe make it to sort of that next level of awareness of the ability to start switching out the lenses I, I don't, I, I don't know. At, at least for me, it just came naturally. So maybe it's just a matter mm. of like, when you get to that place, but be thankful for your, that level of healing and then just begin to let it flow naturally. Mm-hmm. Don't let the old mindset of like, well, maybe I won't do it right enough, or maybe I won't do it good enough. Because believe me, those thoughts haunted me many times in terms of like all the trainees and the students and the various people that, you know, that I've kind of had the privilege of being able to mentor. Don't let those old thoughts haunt you and just kind of keep going with where you've come. 
and then people will naturally, it would just naturally happen. Like you were literally, I get that mental image of Beyonce li- like lifting people up on the stage mm-hmm. with her. Like, mm-hmm. I think it just naturally begins to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the main obstacles to it are just not getting ourselves to that place of healing. Cause you can't uh, start to mentor other people when you're still fighting your own demons, mm-hmm. but then you get yourself on the road to healing. And then I think that it, it's, it's kind of like a Carl Rogers thing. So once you get, once you get that out of the way, like it'll start flowing naturally. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do anything to make it happen yeah. other than just um, let it happen. Yeah. Wow. I'm sitting with that. I mean, that's, <laughs> I, that, that I think puts it, puts it beautifully because it's, it, it becomes an outpouring at that point or, um, you know, I, and it, it's like maybe you start to see, maybe you, maybe you're in a position now where you start to see that other people would like to feel like you do, even if that's, sub, mm-hmm. even if that's sort of subconscious or maybe you, I, I've seen this maybe in myself too, where, you know, having come up, having come up under your mentorship, I think there were certain insecurities that you spoke to, in, in my life and sort of built me up in, and when I, I don't know that I even realized they were insecurities at the, at the time and still we, until we started talking through them. But now those are things I think that just, I sort of naturally see in others too. So like mm-hmm. when you bring that awareness to yourself yep. and you, and you improve in those areas, you almost are able to see that in the people around you and you can provide that mentorship right you can actually you actually see that there's a need even if it's subconscious right like what you said it's like encouragements did naturally flow out of you I mean I remember I did a website for your career class and that I mean I I think it was like two years oh no it was in our hire in the hiring process in our interview you you said I remember that website that you did for the (laughs) for the career class like you you recalled that and you praised me for it and I walked out of that interview feeling like man like (laughs) that if I don't get this if I don't get this job I'm super encouraged <laughs> like you feel I'm, good about it not yeah, getting the job. well yeah yeah it's like I, I feel good about the interview anyway I'm, i was right. i would have probably been bummed that i didn't get, get didn't get the job but i did i did feel super encouraged by that so that's i don't know that's a really cool perspective chrissy and and the cool know. thing about perspective is that once you see it you can't unsee it right so like once you climb up on that stand and look down over the corn maze you know, hmm. it's like you might jump back down into the corn maze every now and then, but you're not going to forget that that stand is there, that the, that the different perspective doesn't exist. You can't unknow that. Mm-hmm. And so I think as you take this healing journey um, as a man or woman, either one, just these ideas of self-empowerment, validating your feelings, listening to your gut. As you do all those things, you can't unknow what you've accomplished. You may stumble, mm-hmm. you may have bad days, but you can't unknow that stuff. And so then when people come around you who maybe haven't had those experiences yet, you just exude it. You, mm-hmm. you just find, like you said, you know, you may ask the question or, or offer the perspective, um, not from a preachy advice giving sort of like, Oh, I've been there and let me tell you how to fix mm-hmm. this. But just your interactions will exude that awareness that you can't un. I mean, it's kind of like the whole thing where we talk about, um, you know, once you become a therapist, it's very difficult to turn it off. And that's a huge occupational hazard. Mm-hmm. So like on an airplane, I have to be really careful not to open my <laughs> mouth because it like it will turn into a three hour therapy session mm-hmm. or at the DMV back in the old school days where you had to sit in the chair and then move yeah. down. Right. For like four hours. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. The, that mm-hmm. woman, I knew her entire life story just yeah. because I think I probably said like, oh, that sounds really tough. And like, it's really hard to. um undo those skills. So it's, Mm -hmm. I think it's the same thing with all of this. Once you 
get on the road to self-acceptance, validation, empowerment. You can't unknow it. And then it just exudes around you to all the people around you. Absolutely. You know, I, to even tack on to that, it like, it may be, it may be hard, harder to regress, or at least you see yourself regressing if you do. Right. So one of the things that I really like that Beyonce said in this, I'm going to go back to, to Queen Bee, <laughs> but one of the things I really liked that she said in this documentary is that she chose to be herself and reveal her struggles through the process instead of putting yes. on her flower crown, right? That's actually the nice. wording she used. Instead of putting on my flower crown as the first black woman to do Coachella and get up here and just, you know, be perfect. Like yeah. I'm, I'm actually going to do this documentary and let you know the struggles that I went through to actually get here. Right. And Absolutely. put on this performance. And that, I think well, that I that's, mean, yeah. Brene Brown has made an empire on that message. Uh-huh. I mean, she's, she's built an empire on that message of like, yes. just lay it all out there. Just be mm-hmm. raw, mm-hmm. dirty, broken, mm-hmm. shameful. Like, you know, yes. like, why are we hiding? Like, mm-hmm. stop. Yes. You know, it's uh, not worth it anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's such a good message for, you know, for, for women and men to hear. Right. Because I, yes. I think, you know, I, and, and that, that was a question I wanted to, to kind of bring up, bring up for you in regards to that, you know, if you could, if you could challenge one, two, three, maybe more, but maybe for time's sake, just one or two really unhelpful patterns of male thinking in regards to female empowerment and assertiveness. And if you want to reference something you've already said, that's fine as well. Um, how would you, how would you encourage us as males to view things or, or do things a little uh, or a lot bit differently. Like I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on this. Yeah. So my answer to, the, to that question is slightly different than what you asked. So instead of saying like, here's an unhelpful way or a pattern of thinking, or, you know, here's a, here's a stereotype. Stop thinking that. Mm-hmm. I think what I would say is start thinking, oh. <laughs> start thinking period. <laughs> right. Cause that brings us back. So I, uh, I, I'm not going to be so brazen as to try to pick out like, Oh, that thought process is wrong. And mm-hmm. that doesn't apply because I, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe that's too detailed and too nitpicky. It just in general, what I would say is just start thinking, mm-hmm. whether you want to call it mindfulness, conscious living, um, any of those terms, it's how can we just start to become more aware? Because then if we add more awareness to the equation, now we can tackle the crippling insecurity. Now we can tackle the anger straw. Now we mm-hmm. can tackle the um, mental load equation differential, right? Mm-hmm. All those things for the most part. Now, sure, there are people who, you know, have their own attitudes and issues or whatever. But I think for the most part, if you just look at the average person who's trying to do well and have a healthy relationship and all of that, it's not so much of active negative thinking that's the problem. It's just not thinking, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's that lack of awareness of all these processes and all mm-hmm. these um, these unspoken sort of insidious pressures and expectations and unwritten rules and, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. So um, mm-hmm. one of my favorite stories that I was hoping I'd find a way to, to work this in, I know we're short on time, but, no, and it. you guys have probably heard this um, in many of my classes, but it's the story of the burnt toast, right? So mm-hmm. if you take the average stereotypical there's always exceptions, but if you take the average stereotypical American family, mom, dad, brother, sister, and the toast is made in the morning and one piece comes out burnt, who eats the burnt toast? Hmm. 
Mm. Who eats the burnt toast? I mean, most people would agree (laughs) on average, the stereotypical answer would be, well, mom, of course, mom Mm -hmm. eats the burnt toast. Now, again, there's always exceptions, of course, Mm -hmm. but the burnt toast is such a classic example of everybody in that equation is doing that mindlessly. Nobody is setting out to hurt anybody, to be selfish. It's all just a mindless kind of just unconscious of course, mom eats the burnt toast, but look at the dynamics. Look at the, um, what, what messages is this sending to everybody? You know, it robs dad of the ability to maybe step up and feel good to sacrifice every now and then. And to, Mm. um, you know, show brother that, you know, women's job is not to always take care of you and make things comfortable and pleasant Mm -hmm. for you that, you know, Mm -hmm. it's okay to, to put yourself second. It shows sister that you don't have to always take the short end of the stick to make men happy. And that, you know, you don't have to put your needs aside or to eat toast that you don't want to eat or, you know, whatever. It shows mom that you can speak up and it's okay not to like the burnt toast and it's okay to burn the toast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe burnt toast is not that bad. Right. right. So everybody wins. Everybody wins in that equation. Mm-hmm. And maybe one fourth of the time, mom still eats the burnt toast, but maybe the other fourth of the time, sister eats the burnt toast. Maybe the other quarter of the time, brother, et cetera. Right. And so it is not to bash anybody in that equation or to say that anybody set out to do that maliciously, it's to help everybody. Mm -hmm. When everybody mindfully thinks like, oh, whose turn is it to eat the burnt toast? Then everybody wins. Mm -hmm. Wow. What What a great note to kind of wrap everything up with, Chrissy. I mean, that... I think that really encapsulates a lot of what you're saying and, and really an overall message of awareness. Um, yes. It's, it's, it's a lot of awareness. And, and, and if there's some fellas listening to this, <clears throat> I know that one of the things that, that I can offer from my perspective, both as a counselor, but also as a father, as a male, as a, as a son, I've been in all the male roles that I think that a male could be in. And not every male is a therapist though. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the ways that you can start thinking is to start asking questions. Um, and questions are a great, a great way for you to have something to think about. So it might be asking a woman in your life, like, well, how does this, how does this affect you? Right. Yeah. It's like ask, by, by positioning yourself curiously, um, you actually yes. are able to be aware and actually challenge norms. Um, That's right. I think curiosity over defensiveness. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. That would be beautiful. Yeah. And listen. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's good stuff. It's good stuff, Chrissy. I really, um, we really appreciate, really appreciate your time on this. And um, I hope that uh, everybody is able to pull something from this. I know I've pulled a lot from this. I don't know about you, Andrew. My goodness. Um, (laughs) Certainly a lot to think about. And, um yeah so man maybe maybe sometime in the future have you back on again if uh if we didn't bore you on our side (laughs) oh absolutely Um, this was it's really cool to get to just pull some things together because in a session you have to be so careful and not go into a mini lecture Mm -hmm. so you know there's little breadcrumbs little tidbits here and there but it is kind of fun to pull all these concepts together at once and you know, I was actually worried that I wouldn't have much to say, but huh, shocker. Yeah. Oh man, no, you had plenty of awesome stuff to say. Plenty. And um, well, I guess we'll we'll wrap it up there. Again, Chrissy, thank you so much for your time on this. And um, 
uh, for everybody listening, uh, we'll put out another podcast in the next, <clears throat> in the next couple of weeks. Um, the, the contents to be determined at this point, but we have some conversations around the Enneagram, um, that are, that are likely going to happen in the next couple months with our therapist, Wesley Nichols. Um, he started, a um, he started an Enneagram movement in Chattanooga. And so we're f- super fortunate to have him on staff, uh, and really, really be able to pick his brain on the Enneagram, which is a very popular tool everybody's using nowadays. So again, Chrissy, thanks so much for, for being on with us and we'll catch you guys next time. Absolutely. So proud of you all and all the work you're doing. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to The Counselor's Chair, sponsored by Traverse Counseling Services. For more information, visit our website at www.traversecounselingservices.com or email us at contact at infotraverse.com. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. This podcast was recorded and produced by Josh Zello.